Hi, and welcome to The Badass Moms, where we moms learn to achieve fitness and health goals despite being sleep deprived and overworked. Here's your host, Nicole, the super busy mommy coach. Hello, and welcome to Badass Moms, brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. I'm Nicole Cruz, super busy mommy coach. Uh, This is part two of a conversation with the raw and real Christopher Rausch. He is the no excuses coach. He helps people overcome their self-created crap without the self-help fluffy bullshit. One of the most down-to-earth people I've come across like ever. Christopher, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you. Awesome, Nicole. It's great to be back. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. Um, So yeah, last time we talked about your backstory and your absolutely heartbreaking childhood and how you have no regrets about it because it turned you into this amazing kick-ass human being and you're able to just serve people and change lives all the time, which is incredible. Um, And we started, you know, we got into obstacles and how everyone's obstacles to success is their own brain. And you elaborated on that and explained that very clearly. Um, So I want to dig deeper into the obstacles because I feel like most people in an abstract sense can say, yeah, you know, I get it. Like, I get that I'm limited by my mind. I've heard that before, but I still can't figure out what to do. You know, (laughs) like, okay, I know it's in my mind still not seeing it. Like, right. so, so, you know, what are some of the, like, do you have examples? Um, what are some of the common trends you see in the mindsets that hold people back? Well, using, using your, using your description right there. And thank you again for having me back. I appreciate it. Um, when you, when you think about what you just said, um, there is, there is the fact of, let me think, um, how do I want to go with this? There's a couple of different ways to go with it. Um, a lot of people, a lot of people won't accept responsibility for where they're at. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting is when I talk to people and they say, you know, I don't know what I want to do, or I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know what my passion is. Um, you know, biggest thing they like you say is I don't know what to do. And I'm like, okay. Or I don't know what I want. That's what it is. And I'm like, I really don't know what I want, Chris, you know, and I've defined it as a segment of society who are comfortably miserable. They're in a job where they're making just enough money. They're in a relationship where they have just enough fun. They have friendships where they just get enough out of it. They're just barely getting by. And I call it mediocrity. And I'm like, and I ask people, when did it become okay to, 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 to be mediocre in your relationships? When did it become okay to become mediocre in your life? When did it become okay to be mediocre in the way you take care of yourself and the way you talk to yourself? And people say, well, it's not okay. I'm like, okay, so who is the person in control of the decision-making process going on here who can say, okay, listen, if it's not okay to not love on myself, then what is it that I need to change in order to love on myself, right? And so to give a more clear example, one time this person was like, you know, I just don't want I want and, and da, 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 da. And I said, I said, just off the, off the chance, um, can you tell me what you don't want? Now, I might have phrased it a little bit differently. It's amazing what people can tell you when, what they don't want right? Well, I don't want to end up broke and I don't want to end up alone. And I don't, and I don't want to end up living in this place. And, and uh, okay. 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 Good, good, good. So if you don't want to end up broke, what is it that you need to do? Make money. Okay. So what is it that you need to do to make money? Um, job. Okay. So what job are you going to have in order to make money? Uh, this job. Okay. How are you going to get that job in order to make money? To, okay. So we just start working backwards. We just start building out the plan backwards. Like, okay, if you don't want to end up broke, then the goal is to make money. Okay. So then getting into deeper purpose, like why is it that you want to make money? Um, so I can have things. Okay. 
let's, let's, let's dig deeper. What is it that you want to, what is it that you really want out of life? What is the legacy that you want to live? What is the legacy that you want to leave? And this is something I learned for myself, Nicole, is I was going through life and sometimes we get out, we're just, we're just cruising. We're just kind of like, oh yeah, everything's going by and everything's fine. Um, until something happens. We have that next signpost. So for me, that next signpost, I was successful. I had my master's degree. Um, I was at a job, you know, getting promoted. I think I got promoted like seven times in nine years. So I was making money. I was buying a house. I was doing things. Um, but ultimately, you know, it, it's about, it's, it's about deciding, um, it's really about deciding what's most important to you in your, in your journey. Right. Uh, for me, I had that awakening when I went to a funeral. And so one of my coworkers passed away and I was there and I was, I was sitting in the back of the church. Like I always do either class or church. So I sit in the back and I watched everybody from my work go up there not everybody, but people going up there and eulogizing this person, like, Oh my God, she was this. And she was that. And I knew her, but I did not know her. But out of the feedback that I heard from the people in the church that night, I was like, wow, I regret not knowing her. I knew her, but I did not know her. And so I kind of jokingly said in my brain, I'm like, geez, Chris, if you died tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? Mm. That's an interesting question for us to all ask ourselves. If I pass tomorrow, who would show up and what would they say? And at that point, I think I was 31 or 32 years old, successful on paper, doing good, happy. But I'm like, um, probably 10 or 15 people show up, a couple of cases of beer, Jack Daniels, Motley Crue, Bon Jovi albums, and talk about all the crazy shit that I did and how I was a woman chaser and how I was this. And I had my 69 charger. It was all loose stuff. Oh yeah, he was successful. He used to be homeless. It was like, in my brain, it was like, that's it? For all my efforts, that's it? That's, that's what I'm going to be remembered for. Oh yeah. Chris did the stupid thing. Chris, you know, okay, cool. Um, so when I was driving home after, after the services, um, I had a long drive home and I started thinking about, it. I'm like, wow, I really don't want that to be my legacy. And I'd never really thought about my legacy up until that point, because I'd always been surviving. I'd always been scrimping and saving and, and what am I going to do to, to hold on and, and not be homeless again? Everything was just about not being homeless again, not losing anything and, and constantly making more money and getting more stature and more positions and all that other stuff to be safe and certain. So when I got home, I took out, uh, I took out one of these guys, a little pad of paper, actually a larger pad of paper and a pen. And I sat down and I wrote my eulogy. Now, how many people are willing to write, write their eulogy? Most people won't even think about death. Most people won't even talk about death. Have you talked about, I'm talking to my friends right now. They're in their fifties and sixties and whatever. I'm like, if you had the conversation, like if you die, who, no, no, no. Okay. Well, you got to think with the end of mine, cause it's coming. It may come 10 minutes from now. It may come 10 years from now, whatever it's going to be. And so I sat there for the first time in my life and I just hand wrote whatever came out of my heart. And normally I was an educational writer. I was a business writer. I was not a writer from my heart kind of thing. And so I started writing and, da, 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 and I was like, eh, interesting exercise, blah, blah, blah. And I got to the bottom and I finished it and I was like, all right. And I sat, set the pen down and I sat there and I read it and I started reading it. And I, then I decided, well, if it's going to be read, it's going to be read out loud at a church or somewhere uh, for me, probably on the beach. And I was like, so I started reading it. I'm like, Christopher Roush was this. Da, 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 da. And I was like, wow. And thinking in my brain, I'm like, fuck, this is amazing life. This is crazy. Right. And when I got down to the bottom of it, Nicole, that's when, that's when another shift happened. When I got to the bottom and I had written Christopher Roush will have fought for what was right and what was fair. He will have risked for which that mattered. And he will have left the earth a better place for who he was and what he did. When I got to that, when I got to, I had tears running down my face. I had literally, I was like, where did that come from? 
I'm just a survivor. I'm a guy that doesn't want to collect cans anymore that wants to be able to buy groceries every week and pay his bills. You know, where did that come from? And that's where it started. That's where it really started. That's when I started my company, Master Motivators. And that's when I took speaking and coaching and consulting and writing and, and podcasts and radio shows and all that other stuff. That's when I really started taking it seriously because I'm like, okay, I have an opportunity now with every single day that I have to take everything that I've been through and go out there and take my trash and make it my treasure and help people and really, really help people. And so I became lit up about it. I became excited about it. And I was talking with a buddy of mine True story. This is a funny story. Uh, we were at Hooters. Um, I don't know if you guys have Hooters out there, but uh, we have Hooters out here. It was, a, it was a restaurant where the girls skate around on roller skates and wear skimpy little things and whatever. So it was a funny thing. We're sitting there talking and my buddy goes, you know, what would be, what would be for you a way to put a bow on everything that you've been through? I can't remember exactly how he said it. And I said, quite honestly, and I don't, I, I thought about this, but I hadn't thought about it a lot. To be able to go back to the school I dropped out of in the seventh grade at 13 years old, I walked out of that school. I never went back there. I never got to say goodbye to anybody. I never got a yearbook. I never got, I just, I don't even, whatever was in my locker, I don't even know. I literally never went back to school. I want to go back to the school and I want to talk to those seventh and eighth graders and tell them, hey guys, I've been on a trip. I'm a grown up now. Last time I was sitting over there. Now me a grown up. Let me tell you about life. And he says, and he says to me, he goes, man, that would be great, wouldn't it? And you think about all the different schools throughout the United States. I get chills when I think about this. Look, you can see it. I get chills. And he goes, what school did you go to? And I said, I went to Brookhurst Junior High over in Anaheim. And he goes, say that again. And we knew each other. We worked, we worked together, but we never had like seriously deep conversations. Of course, at Hooters, you have the deep conversations, right? And I said, <laughs> Brookhurst Junior High School. I said, it's, uh, it's over in Anaheim. He goes, he goes, my wife is a teacher there. And I'm like, the one on Brookhurst, right? Brookhurst and La Palma. He's like, yeah. He goes, my, my wife's a PE teacher there. And I said, oh, what a trip. Didn't he think anything? I said, oh, small world. He goes, I'm going to talk to her and see if, see if we can do this. Wow. And I was like, yeah, right, right, right. Sure. Okay. Right. Okay. <laughs> a couple of days later, I got an email from him saying, Hey, here's the person to contact. They would love to have you come speak. Wow. So it was supposed to be this big thing with the newspaper, but because of scheduling, they needed to get me scheduled in there like really quick. So they were going to do a whole homeboy or, you know, a home, was it hometown boy comes back, you know, do this whole thing about how I was homeless. And now I come back to speak to these kids and we couldn't get it done in time, but I did get it videoed. So it's actually on my YouTube channel. So I got to walk into Brookhurst junior high. Some, I can't remember how old I was. Um, some many years later, and when I stepped, I'd passed by the school before, cause I'm one of those weirdos that goes back to those old places where you've been and kind of just nostalgically like, oh my God, wow, I used to live there. And I used to pass by the school. I'm like, wow. But to set foot on the grounds, to go into the principal's office, to go into the gymnasium and walk around, I was like, I was stunned. It was such a surreal experience, Nicole, from everything that I'd been through, like going hungry, like a, like a, a sleeve of, of saltines. That was my, that was my food every day. And I would eat the crackers and I would drink water and I'm like, Oh my God, that's okay. Just drink the water. So it fills up in my stomach from everything that I had been through digging through trash cans. I used, we used to get food from a guy at Burger King. I befriended a guy at Burger King. You know, when you have the sandwiches and you, you, like, you bite into, Oh, I don't like ketchup and you take it back. He would give me those. And we would just cut off the part where the person bit because the rest of the food was still good. Sometimes it was still hot from all of that to be able to go back and walk in that gymnasium, have these seventh graders. I talked to two classes. I talked to the seventh grade class first and then I talked to the eighth grade class to see them filing in. I was stunned at how little they were. I was like, look over the, the, the aide that was with me. I'm like, those are like, look like fifth graders. 
fifth graders up there. He goes, no, 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 seventh, seventh graders, eighth graders too. I'm like, wait a minute. I was that little when I was homeless. Like when, I mean, living in the backseat of a station wagon, I mean, all this different stuff. Wow. And so it was amazing to be able to speak to those kids, Nicole, and be able to tell them that I'd been through stuff. And afterwards, both classes, kids started walking up to me. Can I give you a hug? You know, I'm in Olive Crest. Olive Crest is one of the, the children's foundations that I speak at out here in Riverside. There's an Olive Crest down there in Orange County too. And they're like, I'm at Olive Crest right now. I don't, I, my, my mom's on drugs or, or, Hey, we're living in a motel too. Or I'm living with my grandmother because my parents are on drugs or all these kids just kept coming up to me. I was like, wow. Oh my. And there was so little. I'm like, no way. You're too young to have to go through this. And yeah. I remember my own little child, my own inner little child. And from that point forward, Nicole, it was like, okay, I got to make a difference in this world somehow, some way. So that's what got me started in it. Wow. I, I mean, I just, have to ask. Um, I know you're pretty open about stuff, but oh, have you totally. ever done any of those um, exercises or, you know, where you go in and speak to that inner child? Have I done them? Yeah. I, Actually, I just heard I... you talk like about that little child. That's just like what came into my head. And I was wondering if you ever did that. Here's a cool experience. Um, I like props. So okay. here, so, so one night, I'm drinking. This is right around, right around the same period of time because I used to drink a lot, and that was my coping mechanism. I used to smoke pot a lot. I always had something to to diffuse my ADHD, to help me deal with things, to gain confidence. And so I'd had this party, and it was at a time in my life where I was like, I was successful and doing well, but there's just again, I was in that state of you know getting hit by the signpost. Like Chris, you're supposed to be a speaker, you're supposed to be a coach, you're supposed to be doing more with your life. Um, and I sat down after a party. And I've been showing people pictures of, of me when I was a kid. They're like, oh my, because I used to have super long hair. People are like, oh my God, I want to see a picture of you as a kid. So I pulled out this photo album. And I remember after everybody left, I'm drunk off my ass, uh, go outside to my patio, smoke a cigarette. And I'm looking at these pictures and I pick up this one picture. So this is the, I pick up this picture and I look at it and it's me. I'm probably maybe seven or eight years old. And I sit there and I, and this, I think this was after Brookhurst, after I went back and spoke to those kids. And so I think it was like a culmination. I just remember looking at that picture and going, dude, you're going to go through so much in your life. You are going to be challenged. You're going to want to kill yourself. You're going to hate your mom. You're going to want her dead. You are going to run in a strange person's house into their bathroom and cry because kids are bullying you. You're going to go hungry. You're going to sleep in a car that's freezing. You're going to have 18 cats in the car. You have to clean litter boxes. You're going to have to drop out of school. You're going to be abused. Um, your mom's going to be raped. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to, you're going you're gonna. to. I said, but you're going to make it through, dude. You're going to make it through. You're going to be fine. And I remember I had tears running down my face and it was like a healing part. It was like, I gave myself permission in that point to return to being that little boy, that it was okay. Just because I was an adult, we, I still hadn't healed, you know? And when I look at my clients and I look at the people around, around me, when they're suffering and they're hurting, I immediately now, for some reason, I could see the little boy or little girl inside of them. And so I just reach in and I talk to them and say, Hey, listen, how do we heal the trauma, that perspective that, that, that stunted you at that point? And I never realized that before, Nicole, but my mom used to tell me when she was in her 40s, she's like, I'm four years old. She actually used to tell me she was three, but then she graduated at four years old one time. And I said, mom, you're an effing adult. Start acting like it. you're not four years old. You're an adult. You work. You're supposed to have a job. You're supposed to do these things. But she would always say she's four years old. 
And then as part of my journey of, of, of discovering empathy and forgiveness, um, I started learning about the inner child and I started learning about how a lot of our conditioning happens between the age of zero and five years old. A lot of what we are today and who we are today is based on the conditioning that we had between zero and five years old. Most people don't know this, but our emotional intelligence isn't formed until after we're out of the womb because that part of our brain, if our brain fully developed, we wouldn't fit through the birth canal. So our emotional intelligence is shaped outside of the womb based on our caretakers that we have. So when you think about the first five years of your life, going back to what I had said before in the previous episode, I would love to have video of that because I doubt if I was ever picked up and held and cuddled and, and loved on and whatever. I think I was just, oh, you're a piece of furniture. Oh, he, he pooped. You know, my sister told me, she goes, oh, I had to take care of you and I hated it. And mom was never around. So I'm like, I wonder what I went through. I wonder what I went through. So, so that, that purpose of being able to go back and, and give ourselves permission to be the little girls and little boys that we were uh, is amazing because once I started realizing when my mom said she was four years old, I'm like, four, piecing this all together. I'm like, four, what happened at four? What happened at four? Oh, her parents got divorced. Oh, yeah. Then she had to go live with her mom. So her, so her father was this successful guy. He had a successful corporate career. Um, uh, success, he was a band. He was, he had, a, he led a big band. He was a super successful, charismatic and everything. Her mom, she was another person. She was a monster. She was not a nice person. So that's when things massively shift. She lost the love of her, of her dad. She was daddy's little girl. Didn't have that anymore, except for special occasions like father's day and Christmas. And that's when he, that's when she saw him. She was under the militant control of her, of her mom, who basically drove her to graduate high school by the time she was 16, drove her to go to UC Santa Barbara at 16, you know, basically drove, didn't allow her to be a kid. So my, my mom grew up men looking for the daddy figure, cats, permanent love, stuffed animals, permanent love. She was four years old. She was four years old. She was trying to figure out every step of the way. She used to tell me I did the best I could with what I had. And I would tell her BS, 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 BS. And I would still probably call BS on it even to this day. But now I understand way more effectively that she really was trying to do the best she could in those situations. She tried to make me be a kid when she could have been exactly like her mom and tried to make me a brainiac or something like that. So when I started having that forgiveness and that empathy and that understanding for her journey, then I was able to release a lot of the anger and the resentment and the, the hurt and everything else was like, you know, it is what it is. And if I choose to be a victim of it, which a lot of people do, then I can be miserable for the rest of my life. But if I choose to let that shape me and become a different person and now become a parent myself, um, that's an amazing gift to give back to yourself, to your inner self and to the world when you're able to heal yourself and, 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 and grow from that and teach other people how to do that as well. So that's, that's what makes my heart, you know, blow up every single day. Hi, super busy mommies. Nicole Cruz here, super busy mommy coach. If you're a single mom or a mom facing hardship, it can be impossible to find uninterrupted time for a workout, let alone to prepare healthy meals, meditate and get quality sleep. And all the motivational memes in the world telling you to push harder and make time won't change that fact. And that's where I come in. How do you reach high levels of fitness when you don't have any uninterrupted time for workouts? How do you prepare healthy meals when you're more likely to end up wearing food by the end of the day than actually eating it? And how do you practice mindfulness when you get climbed on every time you try to sit still? These are some of the questions I answer for the absolutely badass moms I work with who are stopped by nothing. Pick my brain and find out more at superbusymommycoach.com.
Yeah, I love that. And I want to tie that into um, a bit about what I do. And I mean, this, this audience is broad, um, but a lot of people listening know that, you know, I work mostly with moms and especially single moms, moms going through crisis situations. And, and so the ability to, you know, take responsibility, the ability to look back, shape your life, um, take what you can from a situation that's bad without, you know, like not necessarily regretting it, but making the most of it. Um, you know, I, I, it's just worth mentioning given, I know who the audience is that a lot of times we have good reason to feel like we're being stepped on. You know, a lot of times we have good reason, just, just as you did, we have good reason to, have that experience of life, you know, whether it's the um, unhealthy relationship or even abusive relationship, whether it's, you know, parent issues, whether it's, um, you know, not getting child support, the divorce, the, you know, you name it, you name it. Um, I know so many moms with so many heartbreaking stories who are breaking their back for their kids and they're, they're, they're stuck in that place, you know? Um, and so I just wanted to, to bring that up and, uh, you know, like hear, hear your thoughts. I'm sure you work with a lot of moms, um, like hear your thoughts, you know, like think about that mom who's stuck, because I know there are a lot of them listening to this, um, who's stuck, who had it rough. Um, you know, how does she, take responsibility compassionately? How does she love herself? How does she, when there's so much demanded of her, step into that place of saying, you know what, I deserve to create a life I love as well. And I can do it while taking care of the people around me or even better when I'm in that place. Um, I'm gonna let you go on that. Okay. <laughs> no, that's a great question. I mean, there's so many different, there's so many different ways to jump off of that. Um, but again, going back to that self-love aspect, you know, if, if we're, if we're trying to fill everybody else's buckets, um, from a bucket that's either, you know, not filled or a bucket that has holes in it, imagine what we're doing. So if I sit there and say, like, for example, my son, I love my son to death. Um, but if I am burning myself out, uh, and saying that he is my number one priority, my number one love, my number one passion, uh, but yet I'm burning myself out what percentage of my love am I really, of, of my love and myself, how much am I really giving him? him yeah. How much am I, if I'm, if I'm working, you know, 80 hours a week, if I'm working two jobs, if I'm stressed out, if I'm in a, in a horrible relationship, how am I serving him by not taking care of myself first? And, and because going back to that childhood conditioning, what, what happened when we took care of ourselves? What happened when we protected our toys? What happened when we protected our, coveted our things? Stop being selfish. Don't be selfish. You know, take care of other people, put other people's needs before yours, you know, all the different things we were told about. And so that's what happens. And we, we go into burning out. So for me, my advice in those situations is number one, um, the, one of the easy, one of the low hanging fruit that you can do that anybody could do is, is create a tolerations list, right? Personal and professional, you create a tolerations, tolerations list of what it is that you're tolerating from yourself. And when I give this exercise to my clients, um, it's usually around week four, because we're trying to determine what it is that we could pick a way to find out what the true root of the cause of the problem is. So we make a tolerations list, personal and professional. What are you tolerating? What are the things that annoy you, that piss you off, that get in your way, that you haven't been dealing with, that haven't been severe enough for you to address as a quote unquote full on problem? 
give them a week to do that. They come back and they have like six or seven things on each list. I'm like, mm, no, nah, I doubt it. I doubt it. I doubt it. Go think about it again. And as you're going through your week, really think about all the things you're tolerating. You tolerate the fact that somebody's always, you know, putting their lunch, uh, 17 lunches in the refrigerator and you have no place for your lunch. Um, you, you've been, you've been oh. tolerating whatever it is that you might be um, and, and list those out. And really think about it. Probably 85% of the time people come back with 30 things. Like, oh my God, Chris, I really didn't realize that my key sticks in my door. My trunk doesn't open. You know, my husband, you know, leaves his socks everywhere and it just pisses me off. Um, people put the empty milk cartons back in there, uh, blah, blah, blah. And they start telling me like, okay, so out of all those, can you imagine how you would feel and what the results would be from how you feel if you could get rid of say three of those hugest, those biggest tolerations? What would life feel like? Oh my God, Chris, you can't even imagine. I'm like, okay, so what is it that we have to do and decide of how we are going to approach this and who we need to become to, to uh, address those tolerations? Well, I have to have courage and I have to have strength and I have to stand up and I have to speak my voice and I've never been able to do that. Okay, okay, cool. You've never been able to do that up until now. So that's what we say. We start adding on those, those, those words. I've never been able to do it up until now. But now I choose and decide that I'm going to do that. And one of the ways that I do that from people is determining what their best is, right? That's why I'm the no excuses coach. People sit there, I'm doing the best I can. I'm like, talk to me about your best. Let's, let's hear your best. What is your best? What are you doing? Well, I'm doing this and I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Okay. Yeah. You, you're doing a lot. You're doing a lot. But what is your best? Is that your best? Well, I'm doing the best I can. Okay. Where do we come up with that phrase? Nicole, I'm doing the best I can. What do you immediately think? Nicole, I'm doing the best I can in this interview. Yeah, I maxed out. Like you cannot think of a single thing that you could do better. Well, in At some respect. At least until afterwards. <laughs> well, yeah, in some respects. But it, from, from, from the receiver of that information, you go, oh, Chris, you're doing the best you can. That's okay. Oh, excuses. So we get that. So, so I remember I did this, I did this to myself because I'm my own best coaching client. I go through the stuff first so I can help other people go through it. And so it was one day, it was years ago, like three or probably about six or seven years ago. I'm bad at time because it goes by so fast. Um, as I got to the end of the day and I was thinking about something, I was putting my keys and my wallet and everything up on my dresser. And I'm like, well, I did the best I could today or I did the best I could with it. And there was some inner voice that went, yeah, right. Really? That's the excuse you're going to give yourself, Chris? You did the best you could? That wasn't your best. And so then I became obsessed. Okay, what is our best? I became obsessed. Do you know who David Goggins is? No. Okay, David Goggins, crazy guy, does all these marathons and, and all these strength endurance things. Went from being a 300 pound uh, guy who sprayed for cockroaches and wound up going through SEAL team training twice. Um, now he's massively in shape. He has zero excuses. He ran on broken feet for a hundred miles. I don't I don't aspire to do that. I like no excuses, but I also like a little balance in my life. But when you think about what your best is, and I call myself, I'm like, that was my best. Okay, what is my best? And so I'm a little, I'm a little crazy. I'm a little dark when I think about what my best is. So let's say, for example, let's use this example because a lot of people need money, right? Like, oh my God, I need money, Chris. I need money, Chris. I'm like, okay, so go out and go out and raise $20,000 in the next week. Oh my God, Chris, I can't $20,000 in a week. Are you crazy? I'd be, I couldn't even probably make 200, raise $200 in a week. Story, excuse, uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, negative limiting beliefs, all this other stuff. And I'm like, okay. And if I know they have kids or whatever, I'll say, you know, who's the most important person in your life? Oh, my son. Okay. So I want you to envision that I walk into your house and I put a nine millimeter gun to your son's head. And I say, if you don't raise $20,000 in seven days, 
legally, morally, and ethically, I'm going to pull the trigger. Suddenly, your best becomes exponentially greater because the amount of leverage in the situation becomes greater. So what we have to do in order to get out of the situations that we're in is we have to create leverage. We have to create our own self-induced leverage to say, hey, listen, for me, it's no regrets. Now I'm not stupid. I know I'm going to get to my, my journey and most likely I'll be like, oh, I regret that. But I want to have massively way more experiences where I'm like, oh yeah, I went and I took a chance and I did this and I, and I believed in myself and I, and I just kept going. That's why I teach people how to be unstoppable. Like if you, if you want to be stuck, then you choose to be stuck. You choose to sit there and give yourself all these excuses as to why you can't do something. It amazes me, Nicole, when people sit there and have, they say I have financial issues. I'm like, okay, what's the last book you read on how to manage money? What's the last article you, you read on how to manage money? What's your, what, how do you keep your budget? Do you keep your budget in Excel? Do you keep it on? A, oh, Chris, no. I'm like, <laughs> how much are you okay. spending? Yeah. So, so, so you have a problem. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and you're doing nothing about it, but complaining. Yes. Okay. And you're, you're hoping, wishing and praying that it's going to change. Right. Yeah. Okay. Good luck with that. <laughs> Good luck with that. I had somebody, I, Nicole, I was, I was, I was shocked as hell. I had somebody tell me this probably about six months ago. They said they were, they were overweight and they wanted to change their perspective and da, da, da. And they actually blurted out. I just don't know how to cook healthy. Cause I was trying to, I was trying to dig like, where's the, where's the root of the problem? Where's the root of the problem? That was one of the excuses. I'm mm. like, did you hear yourself right now? Did you hear yourself right now? What you just said? And they're like, what'd I say? I'm like, you said you don't know how to cook healthy. Well, I don't. Okay, I'm gonna walk you down a path. How do you suppose you learn how to cook healthy? Um, yeah, Google, YouTube. Go do it. Get out of your own way. You know, that's the first step. That's the first step is people have to decide they don't want to be a victim anymore. But so many people unconsciously sit there and decide to be a victim, hoping, wishing, and praying that it's gonna change because they don't want to go through the pain. I don't want to go through that stuff. I'm like, you have to eat crap for years sometimes to out to undo the situation you've put yourself in for the last 20. I don't know. Some guy said law of attraction. If I just think of it, it'll come to me automatically. Forget the hard work stuff, Chris. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I want a red bicycle. I want a red bicycle. It's going to show up. No, no. You have to actually get up and sweat and move and groove and pivot and, and adapt. I mean, that's what everything I had to do. I just I kept like showing it. up. I kept reading about it. <laughs> you know, but at the same, at the same time, you know, I'm having, kidding, having, you know having, for having, anyone listening who doesn't know me, that's a joke. <laughs> Like grind, please grind. <laughs> yeah. Well, of course, of course. Um, but yeah, it just absolutely amazes me that, that, that's, that, that, I mean, no, going back to the other side of it, I've been in those situations. My mom was a single mom. We were on welfare. We took the bus everywhere. Um, I get it. I get it. When you're at wit's end, um, that's when you need to ask for help. I think that's one of the biggest components, the obstacles, like you said, is people are trying to save face. They're trying to pretend that that's, that something's not happening within their, oh, everything's great. Hi, everybody. And then they go inside and like, okay, we don't have enough food to eat tonight, but yet they're not going to go out there and ask anybody because they don't want to. That's what we need to do. We need to drop our guard and say, hey, listen, I need help. And we need to go out and get it. And we need to listen for it. And we need to, we need to pivot and we need to adapt. You know, it's, we're not going to get out of the situation. Nobody's going to give us a magic pill. The government's not going to send us a stimulus check. We have to get off our ass and we have to get out there and do these things and experience them with the knowledge that whatever we go through, we grow. And especially if we have kids, that's an amazing opportunity to be there, to be a beacon for them to say, Hey, listen, it's not always going to be easy, dude. It's not always going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be stuff that you want to do. My son says, I don't want to do that anymore. I'm like, you know how many things I have to do in my life that I get to do? I don't even say I have to do anymore. I get to do. 
because I don't have to do anything really. I get to do something. So again, when we shift the perspective about where it is that we are from where we've been and we use that as leverage to get to where we want to go, then we just put those, we put our feet in front of the other, the other, and we just keep going. We just keep going, get around the right people. We keep reading the next book. I mean, I'm constantly putting knowledge into my brain. I'm doing 75 hard right now to push myself mentally, physically, and spiritually. It's like constantly growing and learning and trying. That's what life is about. Yeah. I mean, that resonates with me a lot. And especially what you were saying about what is your best, like coincidentally, that's just something I've been thinking about a lot lately because um, it's not always a clear answer, right? Like what is your best in this one particular area of your life is one thing. Cause you can always think of what you could be doing more, what you can do, but then it's like, well, wait a minute, but is that my best overall? Because then this would suffer. And I value that too. So do I, you know, I'm like, so, so what is my, am I doing my best? Because I'm putting a lot of effort into work. Um, but I also want to make sure that since this is a long-term thing I'm doing that I'm not neglecting self-care and I'm being a mom. And so am I doing my best? Do I feel good about how I'm using my effort? Is there a way that a solution I'm not seeing to put more into this without taking away from those other things? Is there a way I can combine them? And I feel like this is something I've been thinking about literally obsessively lately, like over the past, like, few weeks, month or so. And so it's just, you know, serendipitous that here you come talking about it. It's great, crazy how the universe works like that, right? It is, it is. And I want to put that question back on you since you you coach women in those situations. What are your answers for, for women in those situations? Sure. Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> I could go on forever. Let me go. Let me think um, how I'll say this in a, in a brief way. Um, so for what I was just saying right now, I think I tell people to try to get in touch with their internal compass, which is, okay, it's a little bit of a self-help fluffy bullshit term, I'll admit it, um, but compass, I, find huh? that I think it can be useful um, because there's this point where something feels right and it takes a bit of discernment because there's the little voice in the back of your head that's afraid of something and that'll try to put you in one direction. Something could feel right because you're avoiding pain, right? So you want to try to tease out if it feels right because you're afraid, if it feels right because, um, you know, you're avoiding something you don't like, or if it's, if you really feel good about it on all levels, because there's this feeling of, of, peace and calm and groundedness you could be walking into a fire like metaphorically literally i'm sure just feeling like yep this is what i this this is it this is where i have to go and so um over time paying attention to how you feel in different situations how they turn out for you how you feel about it sometimes things can go really wrong but you can feel like that was that's that i i'm glad i tried it because I would hate myself if I didn't try that, you know, um, or wow, I got a great experience from that, even though it kind of went to hell. Um, I'm glad I did it. So it's not always about what makes you happy, but what feels in line with your values, your integrity, where you're supposed to be headed. Um, and so over time, if you can learn to discern those feelings and refine that inner compass, I feel like suddenly it becomes a little easier to know if you're on the right path for you, because there's no single right answer to this. If you're on the right path for you, when it comes to, you know, well, 
am I, I'm, am I doing my best with this, but then I'd have to take away from here and how am I going to balance that out? And is there another solution I'm not seeing? Um, I think when you've practiced that muscle of discernment, it'll, it'll over time become clearer. And now I'm not a hundred percent where I can hit it, but usually I'll know pretty quickly because I'll just get this feeling in my gut. Like, no, I wasn't, that's not what I was supposed to decide. Like, you know, pretty, pretty quickly I'll know like, wait, that, that wasn't right. That wasn't it, you know? Um, but again, it, it takes, it, it's a very, um, it's not an objective type of, it's not an objective piece of advice. So it's something that resonates with some people, um, may not resonate with others, but it could be a useful tool. Um, right. And going back to responsibility for moms in that situation, I think one of the biggest things when you talk about taking responsibility for the situation you're in, um, I think that's huge. And it can be really painful for, you know, so many single moms um, are coming out of really unhealthy relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm sure some of them were a large part of the cause that it was unhealthy, but I'm also sure that a lot of them who come to me are like, I, you know, I did everything I could and I tried to make it work and blah, blah, blah. And they're really like feeling like a victim. And there's a difference between being the victim of something or being a victim in like your identity, in your life in general, right? Like you can be the victim of a crime without being a victim in this like total sense of the word. And, mm. and so, you know, to first of all, look back and like recognize how you contributed to the situation, because I don't care how sweet, how moral, how whatever you are, um, unless it was this like out of nowhere type situation that was done very quickly and there was no time for you to react at all, there was some way you contributed to it. And that doesn't always mean that you should have done the other thing because we don't know what would have happened if you did the other thing, right? right. But mm -hmm. it's something to think about and to recognize, you know, like, well, I, I married that person or, well, I decided to do X, Y, Z or, well, you know, I let this person be abusive towards me all that time and forgive yourself for it. This isn't about blaming or being harsh, but and that's what people always tell me, because they'll they'll start trying to in a compassionate way, remind me of what I've been through. No, but it's not. I mean, look at, look at this and look at, you know, this person did that and that person did that. And I'm like, I let them, I, I put myself, I don't want to be too explicit, you know, because, um, but, you know, too specific here, but like, you know, I, I let myself be associated with certain people. I brought certain people into my life. I allowed them to treat me this way for a certain amount of time. And they're like, Nicole, you're so harsh with yourself. And I'm like, Real. No, you don't get it. I'm empowering myself because if those things happen to me and I don't acknowledge the role I play, that means that if they happen again, there's nothing I can do about it. Whereas this time I recognize exactly what I did. I know why I did it. I recognize that at the, at the time I didn't know, I knew that the situation I'm in now was a possibility, but there was also another possibility of the effort I put in paying off and things working out in the end. 
that could have theoretically happened. I didn't know at the time. So I recognize all of that. But I also recognize that if another situation comes along, I can decide, do I want to do what I did last time, take the risk of this happening again, but also, you know, keep the possibility open of us, you know, getting through the other side or making the situation better or the same things I was trying to accomplish in the situation last time? Or do I want to choose to skip it and not judging myself if I want to skip it? Because that was part of the problem. I felt like I owed everyone else. It wasn't about, like you said, loving myself and what Mm -hmm. I want, what I deserved. I realized that I was holding myself and everyone else in the world to a different standard. Because if someone else behaved badly, I'm supposed to be forgiving. You know, I'm, if someone else was struggling, I'm supposed to help empower them and find their gifts and all this stuff. And then when it came to myself, mm-hmm. I could be 100% on point, make one little mistake and like beat myself up about it. And I was like, wait a minute, I'm not expecting the same from other people as I am for myself. And I'm not expecting the same from my, I'm not being the same way towards myself as I am with other people. And I don't think there's a right or wrong for some people, you know, like you and I, the way we talk, like we tend to be like, this is it. This is the standard, no excuses. We're going to be over here. And like, that's great. But then when I'm interacting with other people in my life in a way in which that attitude affects me, I need to expect the same from them or I need to pull back and set boundaries around that relationship. And at the same time, I do think it's important to be compassionate, to be forgiving, to see the best in people, to, you know, all of that stuff. Why am I not doing it with myself? You know, um, and so, yeah, taking responsibility. Now I'm the one who rambled on about that question, (laughs) but, you know, taking responsibility, I think is um, it's not, it's not harsh, it's empowering, and it's one of the best things you can do. And that's why, you know, Christopher Rausch, the no excuses coach who helps people get rid of their self-created crap and self-help fluffy bullshit is on a podcast called Badass Moms. (laughs) Hell yeah. (laughs) Yes. And on that note, I want to, I want you to tell people how they can find you. Do you have more time to um, talk a bit after this episode, do a bonus one on the coaching industry? Do you have a little time to do that? Awesome. I've got my show at seven, but uh, yeah. Okay. Awesome. We'll do, we'll make it quick. We'll make it quick. So um, let everyone know for those of you who at this point, they've fallen in love with you. They're like, I need more of this man. How, how do I get this wisdom? Tell them how to get in contact with you. Nicole, it's been a pleasure. Um, it's simple, ChristopherRausch.com, R-A-U-S-C-H, ChristopherRausch.com. Or if that's too difficult, somebody can go to the noexcusescoach.com and it will find you right there. And uh, I'd be happy to extend a complimentary coaching session to anybody who would like to uh, experience that with me. And uh, moreover, just uh, I hope that this interview and this uh, the words that we've shared today really impact you guys who are listening and watching this massively. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being on the show. It's always great to chat with you. You are most welcome. It's an honor. And thank you to all of you who are listening to the Badass Moms podcast brought to you by the Holistic Therapies Directory. If you are a holistic practitioner or if you're looking for a holistic practitioner, make sure you check out holistictherapiesdirectory.com. And always you can pick my brain at superbusymommycoach.com. And I am currently accepting um, 
As of today, June 22nd, I am currently accepting applications for one-on-one coaching spots. You know what? Whenever this comes out, you can always fill out the application, but there might be more of a waiting list. We'll see. Right now, I actually have a spot open. So if you are interested in taking that spot, take it quickly before someone else grabs it. I'll see you next time on the Badass Moms podcast. You've been listening to Badass Moms. Join us again and get your badass on.